You are listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. Welcome back to the Varmints Podcast, wherein we do a whole bunch of research to educate ourselves and you, the listener, on all things that creep, crawl, slither, fly, jump, hop, and swim on this planet, one animal at a time. My name's Paul, and I am not an animal expert. I'm Donna, and I am also not an animal expert, and today we are going to talk about the flippity, floppity, spinny, (laughs) crazy, squeaky dolphins. (laughs) Yes. But first, the news. This is Varmin's Headline News with your anchorman, some guy named Paul. Thank you, Matthew. Succulents have never been more in style than they are right now, and all you have to do is look in my daughter's bedroom to know that. She has them everywhere. They are low maintenance. They make great houseplants for gardeners of any age. They can learn how to nurture their green thumbs with succulents. Well, there were plants called, well, there, there not were, there are plants called bunny succulents. And those are also called string of pearls. And those plants grew bunny-like ears from their base. And last year, it inspired quite a few Easter gifts. Now, though, there is a new animal-like succulent out there. And they are dolphin succulents. They are a cross-pollination between the string of pearls, bunny succulents, and another succulent known as the hot dog cactus. And these truly look like little tiny dolphins jumping out of the water. They're amazing. It sprouts white and pink flowers, and you'll want to keep these tiny little jumping dolphins free of any barriers as they grow. They do well in open pots, and they tend to thrive in colder months inside, so they're best kept in the comfort of your air conditioner all year round. You can check your local gardening shops for the seeds, or if you know someone who has this plant already, ask them for a little clipping so that you can plant your own. And if you have a plant clipping to trade, then you you guys can share succulents. And that's exactly what my daughter does. She knows people that have different succulents than her, and uh, they they trade all the time. Does she have the dolphin one? Not yet. You can get the seeds online. I think they're... 17 or 18 dollars for a package of 100 seeds and i don't know how how easy it is to grow a succulent from a seed i think my daughter generally buys them you know after they've grown a little bit right but they're fairly inexpensive if you want to try growing them well not me i have a black thumb so (laughs) i try keep my cats and dogs alive and that's all i should be asked to do so yeah i like plants but i can't yeah i have a green greenish thumb it depends on what it is yeah you live in a climate with water like everywhere so yeah and i still manage to kill things once in a while (laughs) it's really bad (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, we have no water in Colorado and also no oxygen. So it's no. a losing you, battle. I just can't. Yeah. I don't have the energy. <laughs> yeah. Unlike me, you have an excuse. Yeah. <laughs> it's a terrible excuse because I have plenty of friends that are really good gardeners in right here in the state. But I'm that's my story and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> All right. Well, here's a reminder to everybody go to blazingcariboustudios.com for links to our audio and our show notes for today's episode. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at, <laughs> at Varmint's Podcast, all one word, and at Varmint's Podcast at gmail.com for questions, comments, stories, and suggestionies. I run a Pinterest board for every animal, so if you go over there and put Varmint's into the search engine, you'll find us over there. And also there's a link at the bottom of our show notes. Paul put some Easter eggs in the show notes sometimes, so you also want to head over there to look at those and make sure that you see them, because you could win a prize. You never know. That's right. You never know. If you want some Varmint's merchandise, of which there is lots of really cool new stuff, go over to tpublic.com and put Varmint's in the search engine. You will find us. You're going to get all sorts of wonderful stuff over there. Tote bags, t-shirts, coffee cups, whatever you want. If you like the show, why not tell a friend about us and introduce them to the podcast? We are everywhere podcasts are found. And word of mouth is the very best way to help us grow. Yes, and we want to take a moment to thank our Patreon supporters. You don't have to give us money through Patreon, but some of you do anyway, and we appreciate that so, so much. It helps us to get merch out to people and to pay for hosting and pay for all that good stuff that... We need we need it to keep the uh, the podcast going. So we do appreciate it so so much. Yes. So let's go ahead and talk about dolphins. Hey, hey! Let's go get educated on some animals. I know you wanna. <laughs> That sounds a little more like a goat. I'm really trying. <laughs> I can't. That's the that's the goat dolphin. The goat species. dolphin. Yeah, the dolphin. <laughs> Before we get into the rest of this episode, you know, people really, really love dolphins, and we do too. And we understand that some of you might have strong feelings regarding the treatment of dolphins when it comes to study and research and education and entertainment. And our podcast has always been, and will continue to be entertainment first and foremost and then we try to sneak in some education and poop jokes and bonus facts in a fun kind of light-hearted manner what we don't do is push a specific agenda that goes above and beyond the statement that closes the show be nice to animals so you get to define that for yourself and then act upon it and so we're just going to get into dolphins dolphins are marine cetaceans we call them that because that's the order that they belong to cetacea there is no strict definition of the term dolphin, and distinguishing whales and dolphins and porpoises among their suborder Odonocetae is really difficult. Because cetaceans longer than nine feet are generally called whales, however, there are some whales that are smaller than that, and there are some dolphins bigger than that. So for the purposes of this podcast, we will be talking about oceanic and river dolphins that belong to the family Delphinidae. Killer whales technically qualify as dolphins, but they're getting their own episode. Yeah. There are around 40 species of dolphin. Most species are marine, but the Amazon River, the Ganges River, and the Chinese River dolphin inhabit freshwater environments. 
Dolphins are carnivores, feeding mainly on fish and squid. Dolphins have a streamlined fusiform body with fins and flippers, and a flat, notched tail and a blowhole. In many species, the jaws are elongated, forming a distinct beak. Dolphins appeared around 10 million years ago, which is relatively recent. The name dolphin originally came from the Greek word delphis and the Latin word delphinius. That word became dolphin in the Old French, and after a minor change in spelling, it's the same word we use today. Like many mammals, male dolphins are called bulls, females are called cows, and young dolphins are called calves. Dolphins are regularly seen in groups called pods. So dolphins have this one thing in common with bats. Do you know what it is? Sonar. Echolocation. Or echolocation. Yes. <laughs> it is a kind of sonar, a special kind of sonar called echolocation or biosonar. So, in fact, all tooth cetaceans, that is, all the whales, dolphins, and porpoises that have teeth, are able to echolocate. It's the primary sense for most of those species, and it means that it's even more important than vision or hearing. And if you think about it, that makes a lot of sense. So, how deep do you ha think you have to dive in the ocean until all light levels disappear? <laughs> like, it's not that far, right? So Yeah, no, it gets pretty dark pretty quick. Yep. So many cetaceans live and hunt for food in a pitch black environment, which I did not know. Um, but how does echolocation work? You are going to be very pleased to learn that dolphins echolocate by slapping their nostrils together. Isn't that cool? <laughs> <laughs> it needs a little bit of clarification, though. So... Basically, a dolphin is able to produce click sounds, which are sent out into the water. And once these sounds hit an object, the echoes are created, and the dolphin listens to the echoes and is able to form a kind of mental image of the object. And they know how far away it is, and how fast it is, and what size it is, and they, they do just like a ton of math that just, ah, fish! Num, num, num. The dolphin produces these little click sounds in a structure inside of its head called the phonic or sonic lips. And in, when I was in biology class, it was they actually let us know that that organ is also called monkey lips because that's kind of what it looks like. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's funny. Humans, uh, like almost nearly all mammals, produce sounds using their vocal cords, but dolphins don't have functional vocal cords. They've evolved away from them, and what is left of their vocal cords is called vocal folds. These phonic lips were evolved from what was once the dolphin's nose. Evolution has provided dolphins with a single opening at the top of its head through which it breathes. This opening is called a blowhole. So when we say they can close their nostrils, we mean this little phonic lips inside their head. These are, they used to be nostrils, now they're phonic lips, okay? So the phonic lips, the things that used to be nostrils, are tucked just underneath the blowhole in the nasal cavity. So there are a series of nasal sacs inside the dolphin's head that allow them to shuffle the air back and forth across the phonic lips. Yep. So they're like... Scientists didn't know how they did this for a very long time, and they were super baffled as to how they managed to produce these little clicks. No one was sure exactly where in the dolphin's head these clicks were originating from, and they, they thought that they might come from down in the larynx, in the nasal cavity, or maybe even from their blowhole, but thanks to a few relatively recent studies, scientists are now 
reasonably sure that the phonic lips are the source of the clicks. Although, it is still a bit of a mystery as to exactly how pushing air across these lips results in the clicks themselves. Like, they don't know quite how that mechanism works, but the guess is that they, the lips slap against each other yep. and uh, transfer the sounds through the dolphin's head and out into the wa- water. And the, the front of the dolphin's head is called the melon, which I love. <laughs> <laughs> so they, the high-frequency clicks pass through the melon, and then they get to go and find things in the water. Now... High-frequency clicks go shorter ranges than the low-frequency ones, and usually most dolphins use these short-range clickings more than the low-frequency ones that go for miles and miles and miles. But they do use a little bit of uh, a little bit of both, I think. So their click sounds are super short in duration. They're between 40 and 70 microseconds, but they can be really loud, and that's around 220 decibels for bottlenose dolphins. Holy mackerel, that's loud. They usually produce clicks in a rapid series that's called a click train. And the click trains consist of hundreds and sometimes thousands of clicks per second. So that's pretty amazing. Wow. And you can hear you can hear dolphins making clicky sounds on YouTube. Just click 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 click. So the click sounds that are produced by a dolphin are directed out to the out the front of their head, the melon. They the first melon. pass through the special fatty tissue in the melon, and then that is the lump you see in the front of a dolphin's head that looks like a big rounded forehead. It's yep. filled with a kind of lipid called acoustic fat, which has the same density as seawater. The dolphin can change the shape of the melon as the click sound passes through it. And in this way, it acts as an acoustic lens. The click sounds are formed into a kind of cone shape that extends out in front of the dolphin. So it's a little like a flashlight beam. Okay. And then it can direct the beam toward objects that it's investigating. As each click hits whatever it is they're looking at and bounces off, a click echo is produced and then that heads back toward the dolphin. The dolphin receives the sound through its lower jaw. The jaw is filled with the same kind of acoustic fat that's found in the melon. This allows sounds to be transmitted up the jaw and toward the dolphin's middle ear. All of this produces a kind of mental image of the object that the dolphin is investigating. And we know that the changes in the structure of the click echoes are what the dolphin uses to form the mental image, although we still don't know exactly how they managed to accomplish it. The echolocation image is unlikely to be something a human being could imagine simply because people can't echolocate, right? But right. that's mental image is the best analogy we've got for what's going on there right now. Mm-hmm. Scientists have learned from experiments with dolphin echolocation that their acoustic image is pretty detailed and allows them to do some pretty amazing things. So... Some of these experiences have revealed that dolphins are able to identify an object using vision that they had previously only been able to learn about using echolocation and vice versa. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty interesting. In That's really cool. They're talented. They're super, super talented. Echolocation is amazing. I'm going to put a YouTube video in the show notes, which is about dolphin echolocation. It basically just restates everything that we just talked about without <laughs> all of the ridiculous laughing and idiocy. So <laughs> so you'll actually be able to understand it a little bit better. <laughs> so another thing that dolphins and whales have is that they, they have to sleep and they're mammals and they have to breathe air. So... How can dolphins sleep and not drown? Well, observations of bottlenose dolphins in aquariums and zoos 
show that individual dolphins enter a deep form of sleep, mostly at night, and it's called logging, because in this state, a dolphin resembles a big log floating at the water's surface. Whereas you or I sleep for several continuous hours, dolphins take little catnaps. Adult male dolphins, which generally travel in pairs, often swim slowly side by side as they sleep. Females and young travel in larger pods, and infant dolphins have to sleep a little more because lots of swimming will cause them to tire out and become more like susceptible to disease or, or predation. Mm-hmm. But this applies to them too. While they're sleeping, the bottlenose dolphin in particular shuts down only one half of its brain along with the opposite eye. The other half of the brain stays awake at a low level of alertness. This attentive side is used to watch for predators, obstacles, and other animals. It also signals when to rise to the surface for a fresh breath of air. After approximately two hours, the animal will reverse this process, it'll rest the active side of the brain, and it will awake the, uh, the rest at half, and so this pattern is called catnapping. Dolphins generally sleep at night, but they are often active late at night, and possibly matching this alert period to feed on things that rise from the depths at night, like fish or squid, so the dolphins don't have to dive down to eat and they can still get some sleep. Bottlenose dolphins, as we said, they, they're kind of typical of this behavior. They spend about a third of their day asleep, even though they seem to be active. So to avoid drowning during sleep, it's crucial that marine mammals retain control of their blowhole, which they use to breathe. The blowhole is a little flap of skin on the top that is thought to open and close under the voluntary control of the animal. Now, this is important because humans can breathe while the conscious mind is asleep, and our subconscious mechanisms have controlled this system that is involuntary. You have to breathe. Dolphins have a voluntary respiratory system, so they constantly have to keep part of the brain alert to trigger each breath. Fortunately, a dolphin's lungs are proportionately bigger than a human's lungs, and they can take in more air with each breath, and dolphins have a higher tolerance for carbon dioxide than humans, so they're able to hold their breath much longer than other type of mammals can. A dolphin might average 8 to 12 breaths a minute while they're active, but when they rest, their breathing rate can drop to 3 to 7 breaths per minute. Wow. Yeah, sleeping safely at sea can be a problem, but the marine mammal system has figured it out. Right. Thank you, Natural Selection. Yes. It's disclaimer time. The Varmint podcast knows it's not fair to compare animal intelligence to human intelligence. But then again, we only have the yardstick of ourselves to go by, so we're going to do it anyway. Dolphins are super duper smart, obviously. Yeah, I think so. They're up there. Yeah, they can recognize patterns, they can recognize themselves in a mirror, they can do, they can be trained to do all sorts of stuff, and I know training isn't indicative of intelligence, but they, you know, they're problem solvers, and they, I mean, you know, if you had to rate them on a scale of 1 to 10, they're like right up there with primates, I think, like 8 or 9. Yeah, I think so. I think it probably depends on the individual dolphin, like, like everything, but yeah. They are super duper up there, super smarty pants. They don't even wear <laughs> pants and they're smarty pants. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's why they're smart. They don't wear pants like we do. Maybe they got it figured out. I'm going to take my pants off now. Excuse me. <laughs> no, too, too much information. <laughs> All right. Well, we are going to talk about dolphins in pop culture and a few other things, but we're going to do that right after this. Woo-hoo. Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet. 
or deep in the ocean casting nets. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. It's, it's a, a podcast. podcast. Just for the halibut. Fried in a basket or broiled in a pan. Eat it raw like you're in Siam. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. It's a podcast. Yeah. Hey, Karina, do you want to hear an interesting new fact about sloths? Impossible, Cassie. I know all there is to know about sloths. They spend their whole lives eating and sleeping, and that's living the dream in my book. I bet you don't know this fact. Fine. Surprise me. Sloths are surprisingly fast and skilled swimmers. They can move three times faster in water than they ever can on land. Suddenly, I love them even more. Where can I possibly learn more exciting and interesting facts about sloths? Well, we did do an entire episode on sloths for CritterCast. Right! CritterCast, our comedic animal-themed podcast. It's the show where we talk about all kinds of animals and why we love them. We upload new episodes twice a month on every second and fourth Sunday. Just in time for your Monday morning commute. You can find CritterCast on iTunes, Spotify, and many other podcast streaming apps. Plus, check out our website, CritterCastPodcast.com, for links to all of our social media and for more fun facts and adorable photos of critters big and small. CritterCast Podcast! Hey there, everyone. Paul and Don are a couple of nerds just like you. And they don't get to see animals up close and in person very often. So let's talk about where we all see them most of the time. On movies, TV, comic books, toys, and video games. So, my pop culture pick this week is a football team. We don't really do sports ball all that much on the podcast, but here we are. The Miami Dolphins. Sports ball! Yeah, the Miami Dolphins are a professional American football team based in the Miami metropolitan area, which is just about an hour and a half away from where this podcast is produced. The Dolphins compete in the National Football League as a member of the AFC East Division. Their home games are played at Hard Rock Stadium, and they are Florida's oldest professional sports team. The team was founded by Joe Robbie, who is an attorney and politician, and Danny Thomas, who is an actor and comedian, and they began to play in the AFL in 1966. Their record in the AFL was 15 wins, 39 losses, and two tied games, which sounds terrible, and it is terrible. But during that time, they were adding players who would later be inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Quarterback Bob Greasy, running back Larry Zonka, and guard Larry Little. The AFL and the NFL merged in 1970, and the Miami Dolphins were part of that merge. They got a new head coach, his name is Don Shula, and he is also now in the Hall of Fame. From 1970 to 1974, their record improved to 65 wins, 15 losses, and one tie, and they won division championships and AFC titles. The Dolphins made history in 1972 when they became the only team to this day that has played a complete perfect season. 17 wins and no losses, and of course they won the Super Bowl that year. And since then they've had varying amounts of success. They only had one win in the 2007 season. One win the whole season. And throughout the 2010s, the team has been kind of mediocre at best. The Dolphins' logo and uniforms remained fairly consistent from the team's founding through 2012. The team's colors were originally aqua and coral. The original logo consisted of a sunburst with a leaping dolphin wearing a football helmet bearing the letter M. 
The current logo got updated. It features a stylized aqua dolphin swimming in front of a heavily modified version of the orange sunburst. The dolphin in the logo is more vague and artistic and is not wearing a helmet as it is merely a silhouette of a dolphin cast in aqua and navy. It's a whole lot better. The original fight song was written and composed by Lee Offman back in 1972. In 2009, a new fight song by T-Pain, Jimmy Buffett, and Pitbull was introduced, and you heard that song at the beginning of the show. In the 1970s, Flipper, a live dolphin, served as a mascot, and he would jump in the tank to celebrate touchdowns and field goals, but it wasn't very long until the Dolphins organization wisely abandoned this plan because it turns out humans in dolphin costumes are way easier to manage and take care of. Yes. I'm glad they don't have a live dolphin at their show because that doesn't sound like a good idea, but... uh... And it wasn't a good idea, and yeah, I used to be way more into football, and I'm not so much anymore, but I do have, like, family members that are huge Miami Dolphins fans. Oh, I'm so. sure there are Varminions out there that are huge football fans. I just, yeah. I have nothing to add, because I, I know absolutely nothing <laughs> about football. So. I could have just made that whole segment up, and you would have believed me. I totally would have. I would have been <laughs> like, really? Okay. This sounds... What? What are you talking about? They... What are you... T- what? Oh. You could have made something completely up, and I would have I, just been like, okay. Yeah. I could have made my research so much easier. I didn't even know. Yeah, because, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I don't even, you're like, well, they won this much and lost this much, and I'm like, okay, I've, I have no idea how <laughs> common that is, or should I be going, ooh, or should I be going, hmm, I just don't know. <laughs> I think you should have gotten tof for this section. Yeah. As your ooh-ah-er, because he understands all that stuff, and I'm... Toph, let us know how much you oohed and odd, please. Yeah, please uh, record some, <laughs> like, did I ooh, did I ah? I don't know, but... <laughs> yeah. Well, you can't like all the things, but I'll tell you one thing I do like, and that's science fiction. Oh, yeah. yes, I like science fiction and fantasy literature. One of my favorite authors is a guy called David Brin, and he has made many, 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 many books... David Brin is an American scientist and an author of science fiction, like I said. He has received Hugo and Locus and Campbell and Nebula Awards. His novel, The Postman, was adopted as a feature film starring Kevin Costner in 1997. And his nonfiction book, The Transparent Society, won the Freedom of Speech Award of the American Library Association and the McGannon Communication Award. He is super cool, and I follow him on Facebook. He has a lot to say about everything going on in the world. He writes wonderful essays about things that he puts out about once a week. And uh, one of my favorite guys ever. Should be as famous as Neil deGrasse Tyson, in my opinion, but he he is not. He is, he is mostly famous to sci-fi nerds like me. We're going to listen to a little piece of Star Tide Rising, and so you know, this is going to be a little longer. It's going to be about four minutes, and this is what's freely available for you to listen to as a sample of this book on Audible's website. So there's no problem with anything uh, as far as that's concerned. You can go over there and hear exactly what we're going to play for you, so it should be fine. Star Tide Rising is a 1983 science fiction novel by David Brin. It is the second book of the six novels set in his Uplift universe, which I definitely recommend. It's really, really good. The Uplift series is about humans decide to go in and genetically uplift chimpanzees and dolphins to have an intelligence that is similar to humans so that they can work together to solve problems on their planet. They have 
wonderful characters. There's a chimpanzee scientist that's great. And then this book mostly focuses on dolphins. So these dolphins have been uplifted to be super intelligent and they are part of the crew on this spaceship. The spaceship is called Streaker. It is crewed by 150 uplifted dolphins, seven humans, and the chimpanzee scientist I was telling you about. They discover a derelict fleet of 50,000 spaceships the size of small moons in a shallow cluster. And they appear, these ships, to belong to the progenitors, the legendary first race which uplifted all the other species. So what they're supposed to do is investigate, but they get into trouble and there the story keeps going. So I'm <laughs> going to play you the first four minutes of the book and I hope you enjoy. I really love these books. Cannot recommend them more. Finns had been making wisecracks about human beings for thousands of years. They had always found men terribly funny. The fact that humanity had recently meddled with their genes and taught them engineering hadn't done much to change their attitude. <laughs> Finns were still smart, Alex. Toshio watched the small instrument panel of his sea sled, pretending to check the depth gauge. The sled thrummed along at a constant ten meters below the surface. There were no adjustments to be made, yet he concentrated on the panel as Kipiru swam up alongside, doubtless to start another round of teasing. Little hands whistle! The sleek gray cetacean did a barrel roll to Toshio's right, then drew nearer to eye the boy casually. Whistle us a tune about ships and space and going home. Kipiru's voice, echoing from a complex set of chambers under his skull, rumbled like the groaning of a bassoon. He could just as well have imitated an oboe or a tenor sax. Well, little hands, where is your song? <laughs> Kipiru was making sure the rest of the party could hear. The other Finns swam quietly, but Toshio could tell they were listening. He was glad that Hikahi, the leader of the expedition, was far ahead scouting. It would be far worse if she were here and ordered Kipiru to leave him alone. Nothing Kipiru said could match the shame of being protected like a helpless child. Kipiru rolled lazily, belly up, next to the boy's sled, kicking slow fluke strokes to stay easily abreast of Toshio's machine. In the crystal-clear water of Kithrop, everything seemed strangely refracted. The coral-like peaks of the metal mounds shimmered as though mountains seen through the haze of a long valley. Drifting yellow tendrils of dangleweed hung from the surface. Kipiru's gray skin had a phosphorescent sheen, and the needle-sharp teeth in his long, narrow V-mouth shone with a teasing cruelty that had to be magnified, if not by the water, then by Toshio's own imagination. How could a fin be so mean? Won't you sing for us, little hands? Sing us a song <laughs> a that will buy us all fish brew when we finally get off this so-called planet and find a friendly port. Whistle to make the dreamers dream of land. 
Above the tiny whine of his air recycler, Toshio's ears buzzed with embarrassment. At any moment he was sure Kipiro would stop calling him Little Hands and start using the new nickname he had chosen, Great Dreamer. It was bad enough to be taunted for having made the mistake of whistling when accompanying an exploration crew of Finns. They had greeted his absent-minded melody with raspberries and chittering derision. But to be mockingly addressed by a title almost always reserved for great musicians or humpback whales, it was almost more than he could bear. I don't feel like singing right now, Kipiru. Why don't you go bother somebody else? Toshio felt a small sense of victory in managing to keep a quaver out of his voice. To Toshio's relief, Kipiru merely squeaked something high and fast in gutter trinary, almost primal delphin, that in itself was a form of insult. <laughs> then the dolphin arched and shot away to surface for air. So what's going on there is that Toshio made the mistake of whistling while he was working one day, just sort of <laughs> randomly, just, <laughs> you know, how you do yeah. when you're just working, running along. And all of the dolphins went just raspberried him and just gave him a really <laughs> hard time after that, like just terrible whistling. He had no idea what he was saying in Primal Dolphin and all this, and they were like... <laughs> They've just been giving him a hard time ever since. Is that's how the the book opens up, and so it's pretty clear that uh, just like real life dolphins, the fantasy dolphins can be a little bit jerks sometimes. Like, <laughs> <laughs> poking fun. So uh, that's really cool. Yeah, it's a wonderful book. Really, really good. And what's nice about it is that. He hasn't made them all these fantasy, crystal-waving good guys that are like, oh, the dolphins are to the rescue. Yeah. They all have different personalities. Some of them are good. Some of them are bad. Some of them are neutral. Some of them are really nasty characters. And, you know, the, so they have fully developed range of personalities and roles within the saga of the book as the humans. They are mm -hmm. every bit as important as the humans and I would even say in some cases more so. So it's really interesting. And uh, if you want to find out who the dreamers are, definitely get in there and figure it out because that's all about dolphin culture. And it's just a, a really beautiful just set piece that David Bren obviously spent so long studying dolphin behavior to write this novel, and, and it just turned out beautiful. So Awesome. What's the matter with you? Aren't you hungry? Aren't you going to eat that? Come on, eat! <laughs> <laughs> my my wife really wants me to eat dolphin. Really? Uh, no. <laughs> would you eat? You wouldn't eat dolphin, right? Oh, no, never. Yeah. Not even if they weren't endangered, which they are, so. Yeah. I put no in the show notes, but, you know, I was thinking about it. <laughs> and, no, I'm not going to eat dolphin. Yeah. No. <laughs> I know it doesn't make any sense. It's just hard for me to consider eating something that's that smart. Like, Oh, yeah. You know. It's like me and octopuses. Like, I, I cannot eat octopus at all. Yeah, yeah. And that's because I welcome my uh, my tentacled overlords. And they're, <laughs> when they take over the world, they're probably going to ride in on dolphins. They're not going to take over the world. They're too <laughs> smart to do that. I don't know. 
<laughs> Who wants to be in charge of this mess? We certainly don't. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell by how we run the place. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Is your brain a repository of useless information? Well, let's help everyone win that next trivia night or just sound smarter than the rest of the room with the Animal Fact of the Week. So on canned tuna, there is the silhouette of a dolphin with a tiny circle, and it is meant to be an assurance that no dolphins were killed as tuna bycatch and that you can enjoy your canned tuna without worry. Well, this dolphin safe label has been around for quite a long time, and the regulations for using it have gotten tougher over the years. So while this is sort of good news for dolphins, the tougher regulations actually don't come from conservationists, but from an ongoing trade spat with Mexico. So in the 80s, a video was shown on the news and some dolphins were shown on a tuna boat being treated really, really horribly. Right. So in the late 1980s, major tuna companies began buying their tuna from fishermen who didn't kill dolphins and they labeled their cans dolphins safe. Well, how do you make sure that they're not killing dolphins. So the U.S. in 1990 enacted the Dolphin Protection Consumer Information Act. Under that law, dolphin safe meant that no canned tuna could carry the label if dolphins were chased, encircled, or killed. And other countries that wanted to sell their tuna in the United States, they had to participate in this act. So by 1999, according to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, Tuna-related dolphin deaths had fallen to fewer than 3,000 a year. The number today is closer to 1,000, which is a big improvement, but it's still reckoned by the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration to be the largest documented dolphin bycatch in the world. And in fact, northeastern spotted and spinner dolphin stocks are still not fully recovered. In 2008, Mexico complained to the World Trade Organization that the U.S. rules discriminated against it by imposing stricter standards on its tuna fishing industry. And in 2015, the World Trade Organization agreed with Mexico and it ordered the United States to make some changes. Instead of loosening the standards on Mexico, it kept the standards the same and then it made the rest of the world's rules tougher. So it was like, right. yeah. The new rules required tuna fisheries around the world to keep better track of their fish and in some instances, have supervisors that were on board the vessels personally to, to supervise the catching. All the captains had to be trained in best practices and certify that no fishing gear was intentionally deployed on dolphins or injured any dolphins. Right. This, the United States claimed, could debunk Mexico's claim that other fisheries kill more dolphins than its own. In 2016, the World Trade Organization found that the rules applied to the Mexican fishing industry were not less favorable than those that applied to tuna fisheries in the United States and other countries. That ruling was appealed, and on December 14, 2018, that ruling was definitively upheld, finding that any harm caused to Mexico's tuna industry stemmed from a legitimate regulatory distinction that was calibrated to the risk of, to the dolphins. What's the upshot, then? Well, the upshot is that fewer dolphins are dying. Mm -hmm. But here's the other problem. The dolphin safe label might lead us to think that dolphins are the only animals that die in tuna fishing, and that's not the case. Large-scale commercial tuna fisheries that adhere to the regulations widely use fish aggregation devices, 
which are logs or rafts tethered to the ocean to attract fish. But this device unintentionally kills all sorts of marine life. Sharks, rays, marlins, sea turtles, things that get scooped up with the rest of the tuna. Right. So these devices are very, very dolphin safe, but they're not very ocean safe. These are just things to think about when you are buying canned tuna from the store or when you're eating that tuna sandwich. Uh, we're not telling you what to do, just giving you the details behind that little label. Well, there you go. Okay, well, I think we want to talk about the question of can dolphins communicate with a language? Can we understand their language? Do they have a language? And boy, it sure seems like they should, right? With all of that uh, vocalization, it seems like that they should have some sort of meaningful content. But in spite of half a century of study, nobody can say what the fundamental units of dolphin vocalization are or how those units get assembled. <laughs> Now, this article is from 2015, and I want to just let you know that since then, in 2017, a computer program did uh, run through an algorithm of a whole bunch of dolphin recordings, and they seem to have found like seven distinct units of dolphin communication that could indicate that there is some sort of a language going on here in, in the way that we think about language. But, so it's, but the question is still sort of, you know, out there. Because mm -hmm. you have to think about, like, what do we think makes a language? And so I'm going to just read you really quickly a, a few things that we think about that make language. One, there's duality of patterning. That's distinctive sounds that are called phenomes that are arbitrary and have no meaning. But humans string these sounds together in an infinite number of ways to create meaning via words and sentences. And other animals don't communicate by arranging arbitrary sounds. And that limits the number of messages that they can create. Then there's creativity, new words invented easily. Animals have to evolve in order for their signs to change uh, in general. I, I think that that might be not true in some species, so. Okay. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't know for sure, so, but that's, that's one of the things about human language that is so. Displacement, humans can talk about remote, abstract, or imaginary things that aren't happening in their immediate environments, and that we don't really know for sure if animals can do that. Definitely, there are a few animals that have been proven to think about the future, so that's sort of imagining things, but be quite in the context that we do it. Then there's interchangeability. Any gender of human can use the same languages, and in certain animal communications in the animal world, they can only be used by one gender of that animal. There's cultural transmission, which means that we pass the words down to our, our children after they're born. It's not something that's innate to them. But okay. for the most part, animals communicate in ways that are biological or inborn. But as we have seen in several shows before, there are animals that do pass communication forms down to their offspring. We talked about finches doing that just a few weeks ago. So it is something that they do, some animals. But this is, again, human language includes all of these things. And right. animal language might contain a few of them, but we don't know of any that contains all of them the way that ours does. Then there's arbitrariness. Human language is symbolic, using a set number of sounds, phenomes, and characters, our alphabet, which allows our ideas to be recorded and preserved. And animal communication is not symbolic in the way that we do it, right? So that they can't preserve ideas of the past. They can't pass them on with symbols the way that we do. On a purely biological level, the human voice box and tongue are unique and required to make sounds that we recognize as a language. Other animals have different biological structures, which that is going to 
determine what sort of sounds they can make, right? Right. Then there's ambiguity. A word or a sign can have several meanings, and in animals, every sign has only one meaning, as far as we know. Then there's variety. Human language can arrange words into an infinite number of ideas, sometimes referred to as the discrete infinity. And animals seem to only have a limited number of communications they can use to communicate. So that's very long, and I'm sorry it took so much time, but we kind of had to get a baseline of what humans think of when we think about what makes a language. And some animal communication systems may include some of these features, but they don't include all of them, and ours does. That's the measuring stick that we're using. So they've been training, everybody has seen people training dolphins to do all sorts of things for years and years. They can solve puzzles, there are places that have little puzzle solving things that they can do for fun and treats and they're perfect at it. They threw a PVC pipe, like a larger PVC pipe shoved over a smaller one so that Mm -hmm. it makes a little pod with a rope on each end and they filled it with fish so that the dolphins had to cooperate to pull it apart and get at the fish and they figured it out in like half a second. It took them (laughs) hardly any time at all. So yeah, they're crazy, crazy smart. There's a picture in the article that I'm looking at that I will post on our show notes because it's really long in National Geographic and I'm not going to read you the whole thing. But there's a picture of a scientist communicating with a wild dolphin. He has a placard that has a downward pointing arrow and the dolphin knows that that means sink down to the bottom of the ocean and then I'll give you a treat when you come back. So this kind of thing, (laughs) they're very good at figuring it out. They understand our symbology for sure. And these are wild animals that are coming and going, train me to do things and give me fish. I mean, they're completely motivated by food. They're not doing it just for fun. So they can certainly understand that. But here's the thing. Virtually no evidence supports the existence of anything resembling a dolphin language. And some scientists express exasperation when you can, at the continued search. One scientist, Justin Gregg, author of Are Dolphins Really Smart? The Mammal Behind the Myth, says, There's also no evidence that dolphins can't time travel, they can't bend spoons with their minds, and they can't shoot lasers out of their blowholes. But the ever-present scientific caveat that there is much we do not know has allowed Dolphinese proponents to slip the idea of a dolphin language in the back door. So where he sees a half a century of failure, this other scientists and other prominent researchers see a preponderance of circumstantial evidence that lead them to believe the problem hasn't been looked at in the right way with the right set of tools. And this is where they talk about data mining algorithms that they're gonna use to look at the chit chat of dolphins and try to see if they can spot anything like a language, which we were talking about to decode their vocalizations. Right. There's lots and lots of ways that scientists are trying to do this, and there's a ton of information about it in this article. So I really want you guys to read it. It's really interesting. And all of these behaviors have a mark of intelligence, and the scientist that is involved in most of this article said, the question is not how smart are dolphins, but how are dolphins smart? That's a pretty good way to look at it. What we know is that they definitely communicate. They have a bunch of ways to communicate. Their way of communicating with each other, they, there seems to be words. It, it looks to us like there are specific sounds that mean specific things. But we 
can't prove it, we don't have the evidence, and we don't really know for sure that that's the case. So, but I think he's right that we just kind of need to try to look at it through the dolphin's lens. Do they, do they need these things, you know? And we don't need it to communicate with them. I mean, we're not going to be teaching them engineering at, at any point, like in Star Tide Rising, but <laughs> <laughs> without a lot of genetic tampering on the, the level that David Brand fantasizes about. But that doesn't mean that their way of communication is not perfectly adequate for what they use it for, which is finding other units of their pod, other members of their pod, and finding other dolphins and finding stuff to eat and figuring out when there are hazards in the water and all sorts of things. It works perfectly fine for them. So uh, do they have a language? We don't know. Mm -hmm. Maybe. Maybe. (laughs) But they sure are interesting. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. Very cool. cool. Yeah. Yeah, they do all sorts of stuff. They can... You know, I mean, there's ones that pick up sea sponges and put them on their nose so that they don't get poked by certain types of... (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I can't remember exactly what that's all about, but they do all sorts of stuff. They They can dig fish out of the sand in the ocean floor by using their echolocation. It's just all sorts of stuff they can do. They so. play like ravens do. They play games like they'll yep. blow bubbles in the water and swim through them and do all sorts of really wonderful things down there just for pleasure seemingly. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, dolphins in Kona, Hawaii adorn themselves with leaves oh, that that's fall so into cool. the water and it seems to be part of their play pattern. Oh, so, that is so cool. Yeah, I mean, who knows why they're doing it, but they are. So they, they, uh, they they definitely have something going on, but we're not very good at saying what it is yet. Yep. That's probably what I want to say. But again, there is another article about the algorithms being examined. And just in 2017, two years <coughs> later, they found, and I, I know I'm repeating myself, but I want to emphasize that they do seem to have found some key sounds that seem to be important in every dolphin conversation, if, if we're call it a conversation. So we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Yeah, very there cool. Is a, there's a Russian guy that says that these recorded dolphins having a conversation, but nobody trusts his data because it's too private. It's it's too captive dolphins, and you know, captive behavior is just not. It's not a good way to measure what's going on, right? right. So, because you know what's going on in captivity, but that doesn't tell you anything about what what they're actually doing in the wild. Those can be two completely different things. So, right. and uh, also he hasn't submitted his stuff to international peer review and. So you should probably just ignore that guy. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I'm sure people have probably heard of them if they're dolphin fanatics, and he's just not. The, it, it's not. It's not that other scientists dislike his ideas. They just want to be able to um, to get them through peer review and talk about them, and he won't. He won't submit to international peer review. So that's yep. always a warning sign when somebody doesn't want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So. Cool. Yeah. Well, that was awesome. I've been wanting to do an episode about dolphins for quite a while. Yes. That was fun. I love dolphins. Dolphins are so cute. (laughs) Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. This podcast has been brought to you with technical support by Matthew Chomo, bed music by Kevin McLeod. Our logo was created by Imran Javed. Our vocal talent is Carrie McGinnis, Chris Brayton, Josh Hallmark, Chris Green, Jennifer Chomo, Stacey and Frosty, and Justine and Santiago. Yay! Now it's time for the Rugrat Corner. If you have a Rugrat who's eight years of age or younger who wants to be on our podcast, send us a message on Facebook or email us at barmanspodcast at gmail.com for details. 
We make it super easy for your Rugrat to hear their voice on the podcast. And this week we're going to hear from Seb. Seb has something to say about dolphins. Nice. Dolphins are mammals and they live under the sea. They swim around and they are an endangered species. And to communicate with their fellow dolphins, they just make a noise with their fins or their tails to communicate. And what I think about dolphin watching, I think it could be fun. But think about if you were the dolphin. Do you think it would be fun for the dolphin? Because it's not always about you. That's it's right. about them too. That's if right. I were a dolphin, I'd just stay at the bottom where no one would see me. Because I wouldn't want to be seen. <laughs> but I'll come up for air when I need it and then go back down. There's a lot of pollution in the ocean. So if you're throwing trash into the ocean, please don't do it because you might kill an animal like a dolphin or another animal because they try to eat the food and they die from that. So once again, please do not throw any trash into the ocean. Yes. Yep, I agree with that. Yes. Yep. If Seb was a dolphin, he would be a very introverted dolphin, and I can totally appreciate that. Like. I'm going to be left alone down here on the bottom. I'll come up for a breath, but I'm just going to go back down for a little while. Well, and I've read quite a few articles about these um, dolphins. When you go on these vacations where you get to interact with dolphins, they think that a lot of the time people are interrupting the dolphins while they're sleeping. So right. they're not getting oh, yeah. enough rest because of all these tourists. So maybe stop doing that. That could be. Yeah, that might not be such a good idea. Well, thank you, Seb. Yeah, thanks, Seb. Seb, I, you know what? When we have a Rugrat, if their parent has a podcast, I will normally plug the podcast. But guess what? Hmm. Seb has his own podcast. He does. He does. And he's a sports ball fan. It's uh-huh. called Seb's World of Sports. Well, that's cool. Yeah, it's really, really good. He's very honest. He gets right to the point. Episodes are about 10 minutes or so. And so, yeah, it's, it's a really good little podcast. And I want him to tell me what he thinks of the Miami Dolphins. Yeah. Thanks, everybody, again for listening. And until next time. Uh, Be nice to animals. You've been listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. Support and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash blazingcariboustudios. They are sent into vibration and the click sounds are produced. So they're like, like super, super fast. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> That's exactly what they sound like. <laughs> I can't stop laughing. I knew okay. I was going to laugh. <laughs> has been really rough lately so this <laughs> feels like it's gonna be a little bit of a rough ride so <laughs> uh, I just cracked myself up that's really how it goes though that's yeah. <laughs> that's really what it's doing <laughs> I'm not lying <laughs> Wow.
my goodness. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> 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 okay. You're well, slap happy. I am. It's, and I've had lots of sleep, so that's not the problem. <laughs> oh. oh my goodness. That was pretty funny. Laughing <laughs> 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 ah, at my own jokes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be here all night. Be sure to tip your waitress. Brooms. <laughs> 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 hmm. 